0: Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast, a series of discussions about American politics and life. My name is Freddie Gray. I'm the deputy editor of The Spectator. I am joined now by Matt McDonald, who works for The Spectator in America and has been in Georgia for the last month covering the election there. Matt, once again, Georgia has turned out to be incredibly close in these midterms, and it will go to a runoff in four weeks time. Give me a sense of what Georgians were thinking about the race. Did everybody expect it to be this close? Did they expect Warnock to win? Tell me what you've been hearing. Thanks, Freddie. So it's it's been an interesting
1: uh, race once again down in Georgia, which is kind of why why I came down here. I would say that The fact that it's gone to a runoff is probably the least surprising outcome, It just because people did expect a, a close race here. The reason why they expected a close race here, though, is because of candidate quality concerns on the Republican side, which is the phrase that Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell used regarding a number of the candidates who Donald Trump helped to select in the Republican primary process who then have come and stumbled uh, when it's when it's come to the general. Warnock is, uh, Rafa Warnock was only uh, elected. He was elected in a runoff down here. The result of that was finally announced on January 6th, 2021. So it's probably the second most significant thing that happened that day. So he's been, uh, he's basically been in the seat for about, uh, you know, just shy of two years. And yeah, a close, a close race was always anticipated the fact that Georgia has become this kind of like swing state is testament to what happened after the the last governor's race back in 2018 because of the money and attention that has been spent on, particularly on the Democratic side with voter registration, with, you know, ensuring people have access to ballot, with get out the vote efforts, particularly in the Atlanta area, which is where I am right now, which has basically led to significantly higher... That that in 2020 led to significantly higher turnout on the Democratic side, which in turn led to two Democratic senators being elected at the runoff here in January 2021, which meant that the Senate was 50 50, which basically gave you know Joe Biden more of a opportunity to get his agenda passed than he would have had it had it been Republican. So where we are right now, the Senate's hanging in the balance again. Arizona and Nevada, uh, the two Western states that are still yet to be called, are counting incredibly slowly. And I, I, I suspect that, you know, if you want to be charitable, that's because they, they want to make sure that they get everything right. I got a Snapchat from someone there in uh, one of the election offices. And I think uh, not to be ageist or dismissive, but the poll workers doing the counting, a number of them are retired and therefore working pretty methodically, I'll, I'll, I'll say. And so, while we're still waiting on that, you know, there's still this opportunity that Georgia is a, a key state, and that it's going to be decided by the runoff again. The gap between election day and the runoff is shorter this time round than it was after 2020, so it's a quick turnaround. The runoff, the date, the election day for the runoff is December sixth, and I think early voting is uh, for four days before that, starting on the 28th. But yeah, I mean, it's it's. It's been an exciting uh, uh, place to be, and it's gone down to the wire, which is a, it is the least surprising outcome, really. Therefore,
0: you touched on candidate quality, and I think it doesn't Georgia seem to be quite a good uh, microcosm of the of the broader race in that you have the governor's race where Brian Kemp, a sort of much more serious candidate, if you like, much more of a professional politician, beat Stacey Abrams quite easily for the second time. Stacey Abrams was also a candidate with a quality candidate problem. So it's a case of the wacky, uh, more Trumpy, more, well, not Trumpy is the wrong word, actually, more sort of televisual celebrity candidates that Trump backed fail, whereas these sensible kind of Republican, doesn't really matter where they are ideologically, but the more professional politicians won.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's been a case of just looking at the resume rather than looking at television performance or external fame as a as a, as a as a quality. Like on on paper, you know, Brian Kemp before he was governor was Georgia Secretary of State. On paper, you know, John Fetterman in Pennsylvania was Lieutenant Governor, so like he'd run for statewide office before he had that experience, which. Even in Fethman's case, even if you have a debilitating stroke, which massively affects your ability to communicate effectively in pu- in public, people still looked at like a number of people, I think, still looked at that and thought, oh, well, you know, he's recovering. But Dr. Oz, who, who he's running against, who Trump picked because I, well, the, the the word is that Trump picked him because Melania liked him and advised him to. Um, but he Trump had, is he, insisting he won- that's
0: Trump's insisting
1: that's fake news. I'm sure, I'm sure he is but I mean he you know dr dr Ross's experience prior to that was being a surgeon and then being on Oprah and then having his own show all of those things they may be impressive for you appearing on television they may be impressive for you as a communication a public speaker but that doesn't mean the voters are going to look at you and think I want you casting votes on my behalf in the United States Senate I think yeah the the split between What happened in the governor's race in Georgia and what happened in the Senate race in Georgia is interesting. I think the governor's race was decisive for Republicans because it was a much more local race. I think that in Brian Kemp's plus column, he had the fact that he he was uh, perceived to handle COVID particularly well. He was uh, Georgia was the first state to say we're going to reopen in like May 2020 before even Florida and you know, the other, other before other Republican states. So he kind of led the way on that. He also, following his governor's race against the previous uh, contest with Stacey Abrams in 2018, which I was also down here for, but following that, Abrams refused to concede because she said that she had concerns about voter suppression and about particularly black voters being disenfranchised. In response to that, Kemp passed the he signed and you know georgia Republicans responded by uh passing this act i think sb202 which is the georgia election act and the, with the objective of being we want people to have faith in that their vote counts and and but we also want people to have faith that every vote corresponds to you know the person that it should and that one person gets every vote that that passed in 2021 i believe Abrams, again, by this point, having pivoted to being a national political figure off the back of her failed candidacy. And, you know, b- b- she she turned herself into like a national poster girl for voter suppression and for, you know, black voters being disenfranchised, which the Democrats jumped on because they also l- looked at her as an African-American woman and thought, oh, this is a political star of the future. She's talking against uh, that uh, act, the the national talking point on that law became that it's, you know, Jim Crow 2.0, Jim Eagle, Jim, you know, Jim Crow on steroids and whatnot. But actually, uh, as far as how that affected the, uh, the outcome of the votes, turnout has been phenomenally high in, in Georgia. Early voting, uh, I think more people voted early in, in this midterm than ever have before. So like the disenfranchisement argument completely fell flat. The idea that it was, you know, suppressing votes is entirely rebuked by just like the numbers this time around. And Georgia did like a number of these states have kind of like old finic- uh systems that really need bringing into the 21st century. And this act appears to have done that in a way that hasn't taken place in other states. So Kemp takes a lot of uh, kind of credit for that. He doesn't take as much blowback. You know, he's got a record as a governor, which, be- which people can look at locally and say like, OK, yeah, I can see what he's done and I know what he who he is. Whereas in the Senate, it becomes, you know, the race is much more than that is significantly more nationalised because there's this focus on Georgia as the the state upon which the entire country turns and therefore money is poured in. The the, the nationalisation of the local race, that has had a greater effect on the Senate race than it did on the governor's race, despite Stacey Abrams' best attempts to kind of nationalise her governor's race also. But, you know, in the Senate, it's about who
0: the president is and whether they can get their agenda passed. Do you think the uh, election integrity laws that were passed in georgia is there now a strong demand in other states to do the same thing are the i know the republicans are keen on doing it are the Republicans going to get their way now now they have a slight majority in the house because you look at arizona as you say and nevada still not being counted there are concerns about what happened in pennsylvania people say these are sort of trumpist talking points conspiracy theories but they're not, because it's just true that the elections aren't being done very well. It's the, the basics are not being done. The votes are not being tabulated very efficiently. And it is ridiculous that America cannot get decisive election results. So within a, a reasonable time frame, I mean, we're now three days out and nobody knows what's going to happen in Arizona.
1: Yes, I think that the incentive and motivation for a state to change its laws on on how its elections work is usually motivated by like a huge screw up or a huge controversy. The example I quote there would be, look at uh, what happened in Florida in 2000, which was, you know, a national international scandal because they couldn't get their votes counted because it's so it was so close. After that, you know, Republicans and Democrats in Florida looked at their system said, we can't, you know, we don't want to be the embarrassment of the nation again. So let's change the system. Florida since then, you know, they count early votes, and I think mail-in votes uh, and absentee ballots, they count them before the in-person votes are being counted, which means they're able to get a fairly quick result. The circumstances have changed, which in terms of what allows you to reform your system so in a way that everyone has faith can have faith in it. The country is much more divided now that in 2022 than it was in 2000. In order to, for you as a voter to have faith in the system, you kind of need to believe that the other party who you don't like also isn't trying to change the system in a way that just yeah, squeaks, skews it in their favor. And what happened in Georgia after their Election Integrity Act is kind of testament to how much you know the country's changed in that 20-year period because Georgia's vote was not accounted particularly quickly and efficiently. The Republicans who are in power locally said, let's change that. The Democrats locally and nationally said, requiring voter id is it's jim crow on steroids it's jim crow 2.0 and then they it wasn't until like now when we've actually you know this law change has actually happened and you've got uh, record early vote turnout in the midterms and you kind of got evidence that people's votes did count and that people weren't disenfranchised it's only now that you can say okay well look this this state has effectively reformed its system in a way has benefit which benefits everyone and means that we can get the the count quicker. And the count was pretty quick on the governor's race this time round. You know, polls closed at seven. I heard internal rumours from the Cam campaign that they knew they'd won at like nine thirty, and then it was and then networks started to confirm it around like eleven eleven thirty. So that's a pretty good turnaround, consistent with what you'd expect elsewhere. The issue in Arizona is that faith in like the other party is not going to be as present because the Arizona Republican Party. Has been entirely taken over by like your MAGA Republicans, to use Joe Biden's preferred term. But it's it's people who have not accepted the result of the twenty twenty election. Even now, it's a very different Republican Party to that of John McCain or to that of even you know the candidate who who Carrie Lake beat in the primary there. As if you're someone who's not a Republican, you don't have faith that those guys want your vote to count, and that that faith is is crucial to reforming the system. So at the moment. That's why we're left with what you've got in Maricopa County where, you know, you've got printers running out of ink or that need their toner, they need their toner turning up, which is why, you know, those ballots didn't scan through the, the vast majority of those machines. You've got like a hand count of ballot led by, you know, very noble, but retired volunteers. and Therefore, it's going incredibly, incredibly slowly there.
0: It is, it is a, an imperfect mix of, you know, people who aren't very tech literate trying to use sometimes technology that they're not very good at that that's clearly what's going on there isn't
1: it i think that's one i think that's one factor of it you you've also got to have like the will to spend state money on it which obviously in republican state republican states are generally less likely to want to spend state money on anything but it's 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 so it's when like you've got you know public opinion and national scrutiny like zoning in a new state, and and you and you think oh god like it's you know you basically get shamed into it nationally but then obviously you know that's you've got a federal we've got you got a federal and a state system and that's one of the you know the the reasons why american democracy works so well is because you've got these states with their individual uh with their individual systems and their individual rights to to be devolved and to call their own shots you can't just federalize it and because then it wouldn't be America anymore, right? I mean,
0: Yeah. And also, I mean, it should be said, we can't just blame the system for not working because it, it, a lot of these races are incredibly tight. Uh, and yeah. obviously, when races are incredibly tight, it takes a lot longer to call them. And the television networks used to have this, or incre- well, still do, but it, it used to be more obvious, uh, this incredible power to, to make the call and effectively sort of declare the election before the count was done. And now they can't do it because the maths is so tight, so difficult to... To judge. Well, I mean, yeah, look at what happened
1: with Fox News in Arizona in twenty twenty. You know, their internal pollster was confident. He was like, look, the numbers aren't there for Trump. We need to we should call this for Biden now. And so they, you know, they were perceived to have called that election for Biden over Trump early because they did it, you know, hours and I think in some cases days before other networks and like the Associated Press and other people in the media did. And, you know, the Trump campaign were absolutely livid about that. But The guy who was right was the Fox data scientist because Biden did win in that state, and so yeah, it's it's obviously you know you then end up with like a bit of a schoolyard situation where you've got like the math nerd who is actually right is being swung around by the backpack uh, by you know being
0: bullied being bullied by a a character like Donald Trump. Uh, You touched on Florida, and obviously the big story at the moment is Ron on the right is Ron DeSantis versus Trump. Trump last night went on a sort of truth social his social media platform he went on a sort of DeSantis rant there highly amusing hard to tell how seriously angry he is how much he's sort of sort of playing the the part the media wants him to play but he has emerged as a clear challenger now to Donald Trump the international media clearly sort of are willing him on i think it's fair to say and uh, my hunch, and I wonder whether you agree with me, is that um, people are just forgetting about how powerful the Trump movement is and that, as Trump points out, he backed several hundred candidates and only about 12 of them didn't win. Do you think my hunch is right?
1: No. <laughs> I want to I wanna take you back to a month ago when the House Republican, the House GOP Twitter account, I think it was on October 6th, they did this tweet which just said, Three names with full stops afterwards, and it was just Kanye, Elon, Trump. And I want to just ask you how well you think that tweet has dated for those three, <laughs> those three particular characters, who you know the the house the House Republicans embraced, <laughs> and then you know they that because you know they were they were like oh these celebrities seem seems to be talking favorably about us, and then how much that's come to blow up in their face in in all three of those cases. I think with what the. The DeSantis, you know, movement and sympathy for DeSantis within the Republican Party on a national level is longstanding. I think basically the results on Tuesday have given Republicans permission to kind of speak that, you know, quietly to me in the last year, conversations which I have with Republicans all over the country, particularly in like, you know, the suburbs of major cities, people are like we would like DeSantis to run for president because they're envisioning a DeSantis-Biden or a DeSantis-Harris matchup. And they just see, as as I think many people do, Ron DeSantis absolutely mopping the floor with those candidates in a way that Donald Trump wouldn't. For Trump, you kind of need grassroots support and grassroots sympathy. And I think that both Trump and DeSantis actually do have that. It's just more people know about Trump at the moment than, than do DeSantis. The, you know, to borrow a rather ugly expression, you know, there is a there is a kind of a sense of like the rats fleeing the ship as far as the Trump movement go, like I can't identify a big Trump booster post Tuesday who doesn't have the same last name as him. I think that been much more prominent to watch leading conservative figures who, you know, have been loyal to Trump up until this point, like Candace Owens, or like, there's a, a very silly tr- pro-Trump cartoonist called Ben Garrison uh, who does these ridiculous drawings. Who has done who d- has done one this week, which demonstrates, you know, DeSantis besting Trump. Those characters, you know, feel like the the uh, result in the Senate, which you know you can say it's only a few races, but the the seats that matter uh, are the the seats that give the Republicans the opportunity to be a check on Joe Biden's power are seats that have been swung by you know, you could say Mitch McConnell's dereliction of duty in allowing Trump the role of of basically kingmaker and picking who he wants to to run in those seats. But, like, those are the seats where the Republicans have lost and therefore it looks like the Republicans will not win. Uh, well, they're, they're, they are significantly less likely to win the Senate than they would be had they picked more sensible, palatable to the middle ground voters, candidates. And so, yeah, I, I mean... So you uh, think
0: I, in a nomination I, 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 fight between...
1: I'm going to, shall I say that, shall I say the line, which, you know, the line is, I don't see how Trump comes back from this, right? Oh. But which is the line that everyone says every single time immediately before Trump somehow comes back from this. But Donald Trump fighting with his own party isn't new. But, you know, usually the Donald Trump is locking horns with, you know, Paul Ryan or Liz Cheney or like traditional Republicans who hate him, you know, Mitch Proper, proper
0: rhinos, not, not rhinos. He's just calling rhinos. Yeah, exactly. And now people are just like, you
1: know, they're they're watching their own party. You know, this should have been the red wave, right? Joe Biden is at a uniquely weak point, as far as, you know, public perception of him, you know, as far as the knock on our prices of like inflation and gas and how he's perceived to have not respond. Like, those are the issues that voters care about. And the perception is that he hasn't actually responded to them very well. And so Republicans felt really confident and bullish going into this race. And that hasn't materialized because voters have kind of just thought, oh, you know, Joe Biden's very good, and then they look in, they look at what the Republicans are offering, and it's television doctor, Doctor Oz, and you know, walking CTE case Herschel Walker, and they're like, you know what, <laughs> I'm going to split my ticket. Uh, so,
0: well, I mean, I suppose I, uh, you, you make uh, you make very good points, but I do think that. There isn't in the sort of national populist movement, if you want to call it that, there are doubts about the Trump calls him a rhino, which means it stands for Republican name only. I should explain to anyone who yeah. doesn't know. That's obviously a ridiculous attack line on him. But he is he is more of an establishment animal than a lot of people think. He's a, he's a sort of former neocon in some ways. So he's not really the perfect vehicle for the national populist movement at the same time I suppose you could say could you not that he is the perfect vehicle because he's he can bring the old republican party together with the new movement
1: well that's right you know there's two you need to be to drive the sled that is you know the republican party in 2022 and 2024 you need a candidate who can grab the twin reins of the trumpist agenda and the trumpist populist movement of 2016 and the republican money of right wing billionaires who were actually have actually got tired of Donald Trump. If you've got a candidate who can successfully do both those things, that looks like a a winning, you know, and then you're able to unite it with, you know, populist policies and also policies that appeal to middle ground and swing voters and come across as like a sensible, serious enough alternative to Joe Biden, then that looks like a that looks like a, an easy win for the Republican Party in 2024. DeSantis is the most talked about Candidate who can do that because of the strength of his record in Florida, you know, he does things in Florida locally, which play well nationally with Republicans, like, you know, uh, taking on critical race theory, for example, like his COVID reopening policy. And so he seems like the most obvious candidate. The The issue is, we will you got to look at the Republican bench and say, if not him, and if not Trump, then who else? As far as the you know people who can grab both those reins, a lot of them would be ex-Trump administration officials, possibly or senators. But there is those guys uh, kind of in the same boat as DeSantis in, like they don't want to be the first person to like come out against Trump, and and you know pull you know at the moment DeSantis is saying nothing, but is on the receiving end of this barrage of. Ridiculous insults and you know smears from Trump, who is angry and jealous of him, and any other Republican is just looking at that and thinking, "Well, I'm going to let him take that, and I'm just going to wait it out." You know, if you're Mike Pompeo, for example, who you know is sec- um, there's actually a fantastic forthcoming piece in the next edition of the Spectator World profiling Pompeo as, p- as potentially one of these candidates who can do that. But Pompeo has got the resume of what you would expect a, a candidate for president. To look like in the military, Har- uh, once uh, I think Harvard, congressman in Kansas, CIA director, secretary of state, like that looks like a pretty like.
0: I think he's good. lost. He's lost too much weight. I think. Yeah. I think candidates that lose that much weight dramatically don't win. That's my very deep take on. Uh, yeah.
1: yeah. Look, I think I I, I think that's possible. I think there, there is something untrustworthy and unrelatable about about that. Like i I've, I've always been saying that. The most relatable thing about John Fetterman is the fact that he has atrial fibrillation, (laughs) It's a heart condition, which basically everyone in my family has. And people in Pennsylvania will look at that and be like, yeah,
0: that's my guy. Like, if you lose weight, come on. (laughs) Uh, Matt, I know you've got a plane to catch, so uh, we better wrap this up. But I think you are flying from Georgia to New York. Is that right? DC. DC. Oh, last because it was going to make my last question perfect, because I was going to ask you about whether New York is in play in 2024, because the governor's race was very close and i think people are saying and it's quite a good line that if so many new yorkers hadn't gone to florida republican new yorkers hadn't gone to florida they would have won in new york they would have won the governorship in new york maybe do you think 2024 you know new york could could go red could go republican
1: so i think The margin of, I think, the margin of uh, defeat for Lee Zeldin against Hochul, the uh, the New York governor, the Democrat, was five points. When previously in the previous governor's race, the margin was twenty points, which gives you a, you know, that's a pretty crystallizing example. I believe every uh, in Long Island, uh, which you know for British viewers is the big Long Island at the bottom of New York, which has Brooklyn, (laughs) Brooklyn and Queens, and then like various the Hamptons and various other swanky uh, locations on it. With the exception of the of New York City, all of the other Long Island congressional districts have gone Republican. Which are, uh, and there were a number of uh, congressional districts in the state which flipped from blue to red, largely as a result. And, and, and you know, Lee Zeldin is the candidate for governor is credited with with turning those voters out, um, even though he himself didn't win at the moment. Democrats, I think, feel pretty good but they feel pretty good because the, their expectations were so low and they were expecting to get absolutely blown out. Like The predictions a week ago for what you know conventional wisdom said was going to happen in this race, the polls were all over the place, but people thought the Republicans take the House by maybe 40 to 60 seats. They could t- take the Senate with as many as 55, and then they win all these kind of key governor's races. And in reality, where we are now, The Senate's still undecided. I think the House, I don't believe they've got there in the House, but like the margin by which the Republicans will have the House will be similar to the margin by which the Democrats had it prior to this election. So like eight to 10 seats. But the Democrats shouldn't feel good about that too much because they still are the party in power who've been in charge throughout the tail end of COVID and dealing with like the aftermath of, I will say, not just COVID, but the response to COVID, which also has huge negative consequences. The, and a lot of like, there wasn't overwhelming faith in their agenda and faith in you know, what they were standing up for. And the, the problems that turned out, those, like the, I think the major problem that turned out those voters in New York was the sense that New York City, which is you know, the main city in their state, under the democratic leadership is getting out of control as far as crime goes, as far as homeless, homelessness goes, like your typical urban issues basically make, you know, cities look like they're in decline and cities generally are in democratic control. You know, Los Angeles, similar story, the mayor's race is between two Democrats, but one of them is a billionaire former Republican who is basically saying we need to clean up our city and sort out the crime and sort out the homelessness. And, that race is also very very tight. The Democrats need to basically look at their own house and look at you know the places that they run and the ways in which they are running particularly cities particularly as it pertains to crime and homelessness and say we are not being taken seriously that uh, by voters in sw- in swing areas even outside our city we're not being ta- we're not being taken seriously that we know how to solve these problems and that we know how to govern in a way that addresses crime. And then we know how to govern in a way that alleviates homelessness, which is you know, going to be going to end up being a big issue as the economic situation remains bad. And as recession, eventually a recession is going to be called, right? <laughs> eventually this will be declared a recession. The fact that the Democrats are being taken seriously on that, it, it, it may not have hurt them as badly as they were expecting in 2022. It could destroy, you know, that, that could wipe them out in 2024. And so, you know, will New York go Republican? I think there's probably enough liberals in the state to do a Les Miserables style stand on the barricades and hold that off. But it will be close if they don't if
0: they don't uh, tackle that issue, for sure. Well, it'll be very interesting to see. Uh, Matt, I will let you get your flight to Washington, which I think we can both agree is not going to go Republican any time this (laughs) century. Have a good flight, Matt, and thanks for joining us. Thank you very much, Freddie.